Hey, when you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about those out-of-pocket costs. Now, that could be a lot of money, but are your medical bills accurate? Now, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills actually contain errors. Now, HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, or fraud. Now, you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, to date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Check them out online, healthlock.com. Go there today. Hey, what if your home's title, which is the legal document that proves you own your home, is in some criminal's name? Well, that's called home title theft, and criminals all over the world can find your home's title online, and then they'll forge your signature, they'll take out loans against your home, or even worse, sell your home. Now, how do you know some criminal is not taking over the title to your home? You can find out with sign up at HomeTitleLock.com and use the promo code Sean, S-E-A-N. Who does Sean Hannity choose when diversifying his savings with gold and silver? None other than the top-rated precious metals company, GoldCo. GoldCo is a seven-time Inc. 5000 winner with thousands of five-star reviews, and they've helped tens of thousands of Americans place over $2 billion in gold and silver. They're Sean Hannity's top choice. And right now, they're offering up to $10,000 in bonus silver while supplies last. Go to HannityGold.com to learn more. That's HannityGold.com. This is the Sean Hannity Show podcast. All right, you know, so much on the Republican side now depends on math, delegate counts, and we've been focusing on that now and then. And in light of what happened on Tuesday, the five-state sweep by Trump, I want to focus on something today. Now, maybe if you, if you begin to point out that on Tuesday, Trump won every county in every state, all five of them, that had an election. Maryland, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Delaware, Pennsylvania, mid-Atlantic, northeastern states. Now, his victory was that dominant, that complete. So that helped his math out a lot. Now, everyone expected Trump to win those five states, but it was the margins of victory that that stood out here. He outperformed expectations that were already high. And the mostly untold story is what we have focused in on even before the race began, which was Pennsylvania, which has one of the most confusing ballots in the country. And you folks in Pennsylvania need to fix this. It's a mess. Anyway, so how well he did among the 54 previously uncommitted delegates. Now, there is an analyst, Philip uh, Kirpin, who was on our program a while back, among the first to point out that among the 54 district delegates... Well, he pointed out that 28 are now publicly committed to Trump, only three committed to Cruz. And when you look at those leaning of those committed to supporting the winner of the district, um, the total increases to probably closer to 38 for Trump, four for Cruz, four for Kasich, eight others uncommitted. I have it a little higher than that, which means that Trump is right at a thousand delegates at this particular point in time. Remember, the magic number, 1,237. That's that's the number that matters. That is the so-called magic number this year. So this was the first state, I think you can say, that on the ground game side, the Trump actually dominated in Pennsylvania like he had not before. So those delegates are not factored into the delegate total. You may have Trump 
As of yesterday, using Rose Tennant's numbers, we had 1,001 delegates for Trump. All right, so that's a pretty big number. So Trump is in better shape than what you're reading in the papers because these people are committed now to this. People have been saying, and I've been saying, Indiana, which holds its primary on Tuesday, is key because they've got 57 delegates. It is key, but because Trump did so well in Pennsylvania among the uncommitted delegates, remember, you get 17 delegates in Pennsylvania for winning the state, 54 were uncommitted, unbound. And then, remember, on the ballot, you didn't vote for the actual candidate, Trump, Cruz, Kasich. You voted for a delegate by name, and we went through the effort of finding out who the delegates were going to support, and then people ended up... And some people said they would just support who the winner was and represent the will of their district, at least on the first ballot. So that's how we now get there. So because Trump did so well in Pennsylvania, the uncommitted delegates, he he has given himself some cushion here should he lose Indiana. Although the polls, there are three polls out. One has Trump plus five, one has Trump plus eight, one has Trump plus six. So a lot of scenarios being discussed for understandable reasons, Nate Cohn of the New York Times sees things this way in the remaining 10 states. This is now objective analysis. This is just I'm not I'm just giving you I'm sort of like calling the game here. Um, Trump is safe, a pretty safe bet in New Jersey and West Virginia. So he'll probably win about 70 of those contests and perhaps many as as many as 85 uh, he'll win all of New Jersey. West Virginia has a, their own funky system, so that's that's in play a little bit more than you might think. I'll get to that when the time comes. But Trump could then win a, a further 40 delegates or more from three states that award delegates proportionally. The two West Coast states of Washington, Oregon, and well, also West Coast, New Mexico. And he's likely to garner a pretty healthy share of delegates in those states, whether he wins or not. Their proportional distribution of delegates. Now, Also, Trump is an underdog in three winner-take-all states in the West and in the Plains areas, Montana, South Dakota, and Nebraska. So that leaves Indiana, California as the most competitive remaining contests and the ones with the most delegates at stake. So neither state is thought to be as strong for Trump as the five states were on Tuesday, but Trump has led in every poll conducted in the two states since March. And they have a combined 229 pledged delegates, and they've awarded winner-take-all statewide in congressional district. For example, Indiana, winner, you you get 30 if you win the state, then it's by congressional district. I know this gets confusing and a little annoying, but it is the system that politicians have designed. What can you expect? And as for California, real clear politics. Average polls, Trump is leading by almost 18 points, 45.7 to 28.3 for Cruz, 18% Kasich. California, the big prize, big delegate prize of 172 at stake is winner take all by district. One blogger on hotair.com put it, it's not implausible that Trump would take 133 or 148 delegates from California alone and clinch the nomination even if he gets nothing from Indiana. And if Trump wins Indiana, which would net him a minimum of 30 delegates, He'd barely need to break 100 in California to clinch the nomination before the GOP convention in July. Uh, the the pundit, Alapundit, summarizes things this way. Before yesterday, next week's vote in Indiana was set to be a decisive moment on the way to a brokered convention if Cruz won the state. 
the conventional wisdom went that Trump wouldn't realistically get to 1237 with the delegates left on the board. And we'd be set for a floor fight. Now what's at stake in Indiana is simply just makes it harder for Trump. And if Cruz wins, he gets another shot at stopping Trump somewhere in California on June 7th. If Cruz loses, um, at least these people, from their math standpoint, again, I'm giving you analysis here. It's it's next to impossible at that point probably to stop it, uh, stop stop Trump getting from 1237 to 1237. So that explains the Cruz case of non-aggression pact, which appears to be falling apart. It probably explains why Senator Cruz picked Carly Fiorina to be Cruz's running mate if he wins the nomination. And it probably explains why Cruz left for Indiana before last Tuesday's vote and why he's kind of camped out in the Hoosier state. Uh, we will be with him and Carly tomorrow there. So Indiana's do or die for Cruz specifically and the anti-Trump forces generally. So it's no longer mandatory for Trump to win that state. But let me say a word about this. It's making the rounds today. Last night, David Kennedy is a guy at Stanford University. He had a conversation with John Boehner. Professor Kennedy asked Boehner to be frank, and the former speaker responded in kind. When specifically asked his opinions on Ted Cruz, Boehner made a face, and he drew laughter from the crowd. And then he said, Lucifer in the flesh about Senator Ted Cruz. Quote, I have Democratic friends. I have Republican friends. I get along with almost everyone, but I have never worked with a more miserable SOB in my life. Now, this is what really pisses me off. I just got done spending a half hour on this program talking about that if you look at the 17 candidates and you look beyond the 17 candidates, and I don't count John Boehner in this group, talking more like people like Rudy Giuliani and Newt Gingrich and some others that are not in politics currently. We have such a deep bench of intellectual firepower that if we were to unite at the end of the day, you add in Rubio with Trump and and Cruz with Trump and and Kasich and Cruz and Trump and Rubio and Rick Perry and you add him to the mix and Bobby Jindal to the mix and Nikki Haley to the mix and Scott Walker to the mix and Paul Ryan to the mix and you know, maybe not. There's no universal thought here. But if they came together and if Paul Ryan, who I had spoken to some time ago on the program, follows through on a positive contract with America style agenda that deals with basically the conservative solution caucus that I had built in 2014, there is a chance we could actually unite for the purpose of saving the country. I know that might sound absolutely Pollyannish, pie in the sky like thinking to you, but one has got to hope. We've got to try, don't we? So many other people have sacrificed so much for us to, to give us this opportunity. And so many people are underwater and suffering and one paycheck away from absolute misery and poverty and unhappiness. It's just horrible. So, you know, Newt Gingrich had, it's, it's going to be the job of whoever gets this nomination to bring the party together. That's what's going to happen. Some programming notes. Tonight, live, Hannity, 10 o'clock. There is a big Trump speech out in California. We'll probably end up carrying a lot of that. And then tomorrow we'll have we'll do an Indiana town hall with Cruz and Carly. Details are on my website, Hannity.com. 
All right, let's go to Michael is in Minneapolis in Minnesota. Up first today, this uh, Thursday edition of the Sean Hannity Show. How are you? Good. Thank you, Mr. Hannity. It is crucial, your way of thinking. It's not pie in the sky. It is crucial the American people unite because I tell you, our neighborhood in Rochester, Minnesota, is already being taken over by refugees from Somalia over the last six years. My wife and I got our concealed carry permits. She's a doctor at the number one hospital in the world. I can't mention the name. Uh, your your co or um, your employee told me, but it's Obama's favorite hospital, and they don't and they don't accept Obamacare. But she mm-hmm. works there, and it's frightening. We're concealing. We're uh, concealed carry uh, uh, carriers. We don't feel like. Our government wants to protect us. We've moved neighborhoods because of all the government housing that's popped up in the area. Our kids are 20, 30 kids uh, behind in a school bus now. And let me tell you, they're not Americans. They're standing behind. And it's shameful. It's embarrassing. And we must unite as American people. I hope so. This may be our last shot. You know, maybe we'll have to. I really appreciate appreciate you taking my call. Longtime fan. My father and I both uh, love and adore your show. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Michael. It means a lot. Uh, Lisa is in Fishers, Indiana. We'll be in Indiana tomorrow. How are you? What's up, Lisa? Hi, Sean. What's going on, darling? How are you? Great. Great. By the way, if I was in the workforce and I said, thank you, darling, come on over here. But, you know, that's probably a suable offense. But go ahead. I'd be there in a heartbeat, sir. Hey, (laughs) I just want to say I attended Greta's town hall yesterday. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? Oh, it was it was electric. Um, but my point is, the media Who asked the question if Greta, if, if Trump would hire Greta to work in his administration. That was pretty oh, funny. She's she's phenomenal. She's just yeah, phenomenal. She's and I couldn't believe how tiny she is. But um, anyway, the you whole know what people media say about me that I look that I look younger, skinnier. <laughs> Um, and taller in person. So my answer is I look like a, an old, fat, short guy on TV. I'm like, ouch. <laughs> well, they say TV does add about 50 pounds. <laughs> yeah, at least. I'm telling you. All right. Well, anyway, I won't interrupt you. Go ahead. But, hey, I just want to say, um, you know, after it, the media's narrative that Trump doesn't have the female bo- vote is crock. More than half the audience yesterday and half the people waiting in line around two city blocks to get into the town hall consisted of females. Mm-hmm. We just, Donald just has a respect to women. And even in talking to women who even, women from Chicago who came down, women who came from northern Indiana, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, he's so straightforward and he speaks from the heart. And women love him. I love him. It's going to be very interesting. I, I This campaign, general election campaign, has not begun yet. We've got to get through this process. Somebody's Correct. got to get the nomination. When that happens, I'm hoping that a lot of this hostility eventually falls off. If not, then we'll probably pay a price in November. And, you know, maybe I'll just turn this into the Howard Stern show. We'll talk about sex and strippers. I don't know. Because it won't be worth talking about saving the country for a while if if she's no. elected president. All right. I thank agree. you, Lisa. Melinda is in North Carolina. We have a minute, Melinda. How are you? Glad you called. Um, thanks for taking my call. I think that what Ted Cruz needs to do is just 
right this minute step down instead of continuing on. I think that he could unite the party by stepping down now, telling his delegates to go support Trump, and then he looks like a big hero. He unites the party. He becomes a big hero. He gives the Republicans time to get ready for the fight in November. And instead, what he probably will be if he continues on, he'll be a soundbite in a Clinton commercial, and then he looks like a villain and couldn't be elected dog well, catcher me, after that. Well, let me say this. If, if Senator Cruz... Um, who I respect and like a lot, doesn't win Indiana. I would actually say the responsibility of uniting the party is is going to be, at that point, it would be Donald Trump's. And if I was Donald Trump, I'd say to Senator Cruz, I want you in my administration, or you would be my first Supreme Court justice pick. That's what I would say. Now, I'm only saying that, again, if he doesn't win Indiana. If he wins Indiana, the game goes on. I think without Indiana, he has a very tough time. So it's a big, big focus for his campaign. Um, but I think I think Newt was right last night. Whoever wins, it's their responsibility to unite people. And then mention, you know, Rick Perry and, and Bobby Jindal and Marco Rubio and, and Scott Walker and all these other great people that you can bring in and make a team. I kind of like the team concept. But anyway, Melinda, great. Uh, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. By the way, I'm going to give you Sherry's Berries. Are you there? Yes, you I'm heard? here. Thanks yeah. a lot. And, and I really love your TV show and your radio Thank show. Thank you. A former presidential candidate himself. Well, presidential candidate, Mr. 999. That would be Herman Cain. <laughs> By the way, do you know my name? Do you my know name my name? Herman Cain, Sean. No, okay. your name is Herman Cain. Do you know my name? Sean. Okay. I call you, you Shane. I got you it call straight. me I Shane. Practice. You call me Shep. You call me <laughs> Neil. You call me everybody on my show but my own name. Do you even know when you're on my show? I do now. I practice. I told you. I got it right. Have I had you, you and Ben heard? Carson last night. I'm going to say, all right, let's go to <laughs> Ben Kane from Atlanta. I mean, Dr. Ben Kane. What, is, what are you doing to me? Good to be with you, man. How I are you, can't. my friend? I can't tell you, uh, uh, Shane. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Look, I talk to Shane every day on my radio show. (laughs) You got to give me a little bit of slack. (laughs) Oh, man, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. My friend, that clip that you played said it all. It is insanely ridiculous that these anti-Trump people are digging in their heels. And like I said at the end of the clip, if Hillary Clinton gets elected president because Trump will deny the nomination, it's their fault. I'm putting them on notice. I feel that strongly about it, and a few other people do also. I think it's going to be, look, it looks like, it looks like now, and Indiana's going to tell a very big story next week, yes. it looks like Donald Trump has the the he has the path and it's going to be up to the voters in indiana and and subsequent states new jersey west virginia we all know the states nebraska and then of course going into california so the question is i i cannot for the life of me and maybe you can explain it because you're probably getting the same type of social media attacks that i am and emails that i'm getting and i pay attention to people because i care about my audience and i know you care about yours but i don't understand never cruise i don't understand never trump i don't understand i'm staying home i don't understand at all why people are creating the circular firing squad because maybe they haven't realized yet the ramifications or the consequences of a hillary presidency during this primary, 
they'll still focus on destroying each other, and that's unfortunate. You've got the Cruz supporters trying to destroy Trump. You've got the Trump supporters trying to destroy Cruz and Kasich and on and on and on. Hopefully, once we get through this primary process, then they will understand the magnitude of trying to beat Hillary for the presidency in November. Only time will tell. All right. I want to know this. Look, I understand. We started out with 17 people, and I remember following you closely when you ran in 2012. Right. And, and, and there was a period there where you were in the lead. And then I, we all know now, as a matter of fact, it's not even, it's incontrovertible that the attacks against you were vicious, false, lies, narratives that were advanced. I'm sure that hurt you personally. Yes. But it also impacted your place in the race. Yes. And I thought it was extremely unfair. Uh, you had a, had a lot of momentum leading up to that. But then the process ends. And for a lot of people that support a candidate, they seem to be having a tough time emotionally dealing with the fact that their guy lost. Right. How did, how did you deal with it? Because you're very magnanimous. One of the things I love about being around you, I can't be around you without hearing that, that laugh of yours and, and just having a great old time. I mean, you're just a lot of fun to be around, but I'm sure it was pretty painful for a while. Yes, it was. The way I dealt with it was I explained to my supporters that my family and the lies and the hurt that it caused, my family was more important than me continuing to stay in the race. Secondly, because some people in the media didn't do their job, if they had done their job, Sean, if they had done their job, they would have determined that one of the accusers was paid directly to read the statement against me. Another accuser, if they had done their job, was found guilty in a court of law in Georgia of lying against a business partner. They didn't want to go that far. All they latched on to was a frenzy to try and bring down Herman Cain. I didn't have the financial resources to fight lawsuits in three instances while I was running for president, that's why I had to drop out. The only candidate for president running for president in the Republican primary that talked to me before he declared, this may not surprise you, was Donald Trump. And when that's Donald Trump talked to me, he asked me, what should I look out for? The only <laughs> advice I gave Donald Trump. <laughs> Let me guess. Look out for the attacks. Look out yes. for the, the boom. And be prepared for multiple lawsuits. This is what I said to Donald Trump. Be and I said, Donald, you have the money to fight multiple lawsuits while you run for president. I didn't have that kind of money to fight multiple lawsuits while I was running for president. That's all I told him. I didn't talk to him anything about domestic policy, foreign policy. It wasn't about that. It was about giving him a heads up of how he's going to be attacked. Now, here's what I didn't know, Sean. I didn't know that the Republican establishment was going to be one of those that came after him. That's what I am frustrated and disgusted about. What do you tell your audience? Because you're a conservative. I'm a conservative. I think you've taken the same position as me. You're not endorsing. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. But you had your six favorites, you called them, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So when people ask you, well, 
is Donald Trump a conservative? How do you answer that? It doesn't matter. Labels are the things that the media and the liberals use to try and pigeonhole candidates. Don't focus on the labels. Push the labels aside and listen for what it is that you want to hear from that candidate. And have I you, have you interviewed him a lot? I did. He's been on my radio show twice. Yes. Okay. And here's the thing. If you look at the results of just Tuesday alone in those five states, what that says to me, which is different from the message that you're getting from the liberal media, is that people look past the political noise. I said months ago, people are voting for a leader, a fighter, and a winner. That's what they're looking for. They are not focused in on all of the noise that's coming from some of the liberal media and some of the other candidates. They're not looking at that. That's why he continues to surge. And I happen to believe, and I don't like to make predictions, he is going to surge in Indiana for the same reasons. What are your thoughts then on Senator Cruz at this point? At this point, Senator Cruz was one of my original pick six. So if he were to get the nomination which I don't think he's going to get it on the first ballot and maybe not on the second, I would still be able to support him. I happen to think that he has been misguided on some of his strategy in terms of how to get the nomination. And here's what I mean. His strategy after today, I watched a couple of his interviews, watched a couple of the speeches given by Carter Fiorina, has been all about stopping Trump. I think that's a flawed strategy. His strategy ought to be, here's why I'm the better candidate. But see, their political consultants don't tell them that. Their political consultants always tell them, go on the attack, go negative, that's how you win. I don't believe that. So, like, when I call you in eight years from now and say I'm going to run for president, what advice were you going to give me? First of all, I'm going to say, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Secondly, if you're determined to do it, here are a few things that I would suggest. (laughs) Get ready for the attacks. Get ready for the lawsuits. Remember, Sean, I went through that same moment of insanity, okay? No, I'm not going through that. I'm not not stupid. In eight years, I understand. But if you do (laughs) decide to run, what I'm going to say is, number one, make sure that you are clear on your message and stick to it. Number two, you got to be careful who you surround yourself with. You can't trust everybody just because they have political experience on their resume. This is what's happening to John Kasich, in my opinion. John Kasich hired some people who have been in politics for a long time. That's fine. But guess what, John? All of his senior advisors worked for losers. Why did they lose? They lost because they used the typical political consultant advice of go negative and attack people. Now, to John Kasich's credit, he has said he was not going to get down in the gutter and you know do what, that. But everybody, but, but Herman, you and I both know, everyone says, oh, they hate negative ads, but they work. Everyone says, oh, you can't go negative, but it works. This it is just a reality. Because people don't want to spend the energy of trying to be creative enough to create positive ads. That's why they yeah. say that. Well, it is funny. I mean, after all this time, I mean, I, how many times a day do you hear 999? It's not just me that says it, I'm sure. Right. 
And what I'm saying is, the reason that they say that it works is because sometimes it does, but they don't keep track of the time no. that it doesn't work, Sean. They don't Let keep me ask you this question. It doesn't work. Look at all we, the candidates that have lost because they went down that road, and they still lost. They only tell you that because of the few instances where the negative advertising works. I don't think negative advertising is going to get Ted Cruz the nomination in this case. Because let me ask this hear, question. Let, let, let's just put aside. They're yeah. not they're, they're not buying that stuff this time. I also think that people want an outsider, and that was evidenced on Tuesday night. That was one of the number one questions. And yes. Indiana will weigh in next. Here's what I've been saying: No one person. You ran what? Godfather's Pizza. You were yes. top executive at Pepsi. What other big companies did you run? Top executive at. Uh, I was worked for Coca Cola. I worked. Oh. I was an executive with the Pillsbury Company, Burger that's King it. Corporation. Yes. All right, and so I got it wrong. Boy, that's almost sacrilegious if you work for Coke and I said Pepsi. Jeez. That's why I All had right. to correct you, okay? You had to, of course I, I you had to correct Coca-Cola. me. I'm sorry I don't have your, your, your resume <laughs> well, hey, etched into my mind. That's me calling you Shane, okay? Yeah, uh, oh, you say even. so. Okay. Here, no, not exactly, but here's my question. We have people like Herman Cain out there and Ben yeah. Carson out there and Rick Perry out there and John Kasich out there and Scott Walker and Nikki Haley and Bobby Jindal and and all of these great, you know, New Gingrich, Rudy Giuliani. Why do I think that, you know, no one president can run a, a the country. You need a team around you. You can't do a great radio show if right. you don't have Petey Spriggs and, and all the people that work for you. Yes. So. And it's the same with me and my radio and television show. Yes. Don't you think a united, uh, sort of like the united stars of the Republican Party and conservative movement, if they unite together, we could actually really save this country? Or am I I living in a fantasy world? Absolutely. No, you're not in a fantasy world. If you look at the 17 people that started out in the Republican primary race, there is a lot of talent there that's been out there campaigning. If whoever the nominee is doesn't tap into that, I think it would be a mistake. Secondly, you have a lot of conservative, very talented people wanting to serve this country. They just have to be smart enough to surround themselves with some of those people, not necessarily political operatives, because that's been the problem. I think that we have a humongous opportunity. This is why I go back to my first point. Those people that are part of the Never Trump or the anti-Trump campaign, they are doing a disservice to the Republican Party, and they are doing a disservice to the United States of America, because this is critical. It really is, isn't it? It's, it's far more severe. Um, yes. All right. Have you seen our friend Bortz lately? I talked to him yesterday on a uh, yeah. panel. He is as onerous and cantankerous as ever. Uh, you notice he's. I, can g- tell you. I, I am telling you, he's like a, a teenager <laughs> inside a 70 year old man's body. It's yes. unbelievable. <laughs> and, he never and, grows and up. He's enjoying it. Listen, I kind of live vicariously through his madness, but it's it's fun. All right, uh, Herman, we love you. I do have a message for all you feminists out there who applauded the Obama administration when they made women eligible for combat. You know, Barney Rubble and what was his name, Fred Flintstone. That's what that that's the whole gender card thing that Trump and Hillary Clinton will get into if if it's those two candidates. But anyway. Once they remove the restrictions against women serving in combat, well, guess what? There's no longer any logistical basis now to exclude women from the draft. Now, look, I don't care if you call me Barney Rubble. 
I don't care if you call me Bam Bam. You can call me Fred Flintstone. Linda, why are you smiling? Because it's true. But if somebody breaks into my house, I view it as my job to say, you guys hide here. You guys call 911 and I will deal with what's ever out there or down there. Oh, Hannity, that's because you're sexist. No, it's not. I just, you know, what's wrong with acknowledging a simple truth? Look, unless you're Ronda Rousey, who is an exceptionally strong woman or any of the women of MMA, uh, the reality is men are generally speaking, there are exceptions physically stronger than men. And if you're talking about combat or any type of physical confrontation, uh, I don't think it's old fashioned for men to take on that role. Anyway, under the new rules, 18 year old women uh, could be yanked off the cheerleading squad and drafted into the infantry, whether or not your daughters like it or not. I wonder if this may raise issues for the campaign. Anyway, Political put out in a new twist in the debate over women in combat, the uh, combat, the House Armed Services Committee yesterday, late last night, adopted a proposal to require that women register for the selective service in the event that we have a military draft. Now, that's a proposal that its GOP sponsor, who actually voted against it, intended to make a point about. And that was women serving in the front lines. This is Duncan Hunter, by the way, who we like a lot on this program. It was a marathon session. They were crafting a new defense policy bill. The panel backed Duncan Hunter's amendment by a vote of 32 to 30. And by his own admission, he does not actually intend to include women in a draft and voted down his own amendment. And then he opposed the Pentagon's decision to open all combat jobs to women earlier this year and has argued that his colleagues have failed to fully account for the implications of the shift. I've talked to coffee house liberals in San Francisco, conservative families who pray three times a day, he said, during the markup of the Defense Authorization Act, which sets several overall policies for the armed forces. And neither of those groups wants their daughters to be drafted. And by the way, neither do I. Now, I want to make a point about this. Let's go to World War Two. America is hit by the Japanese at Pearl Harbor. Uh, half our Navy is taken out. In that attack, we weren't prepared for it. Um, America's entrance into World War II became a national effort. Yes, the men were on the front lines. The men were slamming the beaches of Normandy. The men were taking on the Nazis and Imperial Japan. The men were doing the fighting. But... Without the equipment and the arms, the munitions and everything, the tanks and the planes that were being made and manufactured, oftentimes by women back in America, they would not have been able to do their jobs. And win, the, win this conflict, beat this battle, defeat that modern day evil. So it does, does one role make it? You you cannot have success. I was mentioning this yesterday. There's no one person as president that can successfully govern a nation. It's a team that a person will build around them. And if you have the right people, and I was talking about the deep bench within the Republican Party, and that's successful governors, some of whom ran for president, others who didn't. I mean, would you not want a Rudy Giuliani maybe as the attorney general prosecuting Hillary Clinton? 
you know, do you not want to tap into the genius that is former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich? Do you not want to tap into the success of people like Scott Walker or John Kasich or, or Governor Rick Perry or Bobby Jindal? I mean, or Nikki Haley or any of these Republicans that actually did great jobs by governing conservatively in their home states. So I was talking about that. So anyway, just this is this is where your your modern day feminist movement has brought us to. All right, let's get to our uh, busy telephones here. Let's say hi to Steve is in State College in Pennsylvania. Steve, hi. How are you? Glad you called. Hey, Sean, great talking with you. Hey, I had two quick points. First of all, the delegate list you posted on your website was really important here in Pennsylvania. It came down pretty close to the wire here, and a lot of us were worrying about which delegates to vote for. So, number one, thank you very much for posting that information on your website. And by the way, we did that for everybody supporting any candidate. Now, it does turn out that of the 54 that Donald Trump did get the majority of those unbound delegates, at least on the first round of balloting. So he's much closer to a 1,000 delegates than what is being reported in the paper. Second of all, what is really important, and you talk to a lot of prominent Republicans, and I think this question has to be asked now, do they hate Donald Trump more than they love their country? Because the consequences of our of a Republican, and obviously it looks like Donald Trump not winning the White House, disastrous for this entire country for generations to come. So I'd really be interested in the answer to that question is when you talk to these never-Trump Republicans. Well, look, I think it's a bad idea. Um, Republicans in D.C. have earned this insurgency. The Republican base has spoken. The most underreported poll out of all these exit polls that we always talk about after all these races is the fact that pretty much all throughout the country that Republicans, 60, 65 percent of them, feel betrayed by their party. I mean, there was a poll that came out. I'll, I'll look at my pile here. I'll find it somewhere. But I think it was a Rasmussen poll. I mean, fully, you have a 55 percent disapproval rate, an upside down unfavorable rate by Republicans. I mean, that is mm -hmm. it, they've they've earned this insurgency. Now, I think well, I agree. Paul, and that's my point is how I mean, are they going to if they don't go for Donald Trump, assuming he's going to be the Republican nominee for president? What 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 is their answer? Hillary, Hillary president. Where is she going to take this country? What's she going to do to Supreme Court? That's all I'm saying for these people that are saying never Trump. And I get the, the fact that they created this. But what's their alternative at this point? So gets back to my question today. You know what you got to do? I mean, look at immigration for one example. I mean, who do you think is going to be better on ISIS and radical Islam? Who do you think is going to be better on the economy? Who do you think is going to put better people around them? If Trump or or Cruz get to be the president, I've got to assume that that many of the names that I've been mentioning in the last week, week and a half as an effort to to sort of anticipate the disunity that is arising here and the possibility of never Trump. Look, numbers came out today by Scott Rasmussen. And what what the polls showed was among likely U.S. voters, Trump and Clinton are tied. They have 38 percent each. 16 percent said they would vote for some other candidate if the presidential election comes down to those two. Six percent say they would stay home. Only two percent are undecided. Now, Trump has issues of building unity within his own party, even more than Clinton and hers, but she has her own issues. 
It says if Trump is the Republican nominee, 16 percent of GOP voters say they would choose a third party candidate. Well, that's not going to be an option. And then you have 5 percent say they would stay home. That's 21 percent of Republicans being stupid and offering a half a vote to Hillary. Now, if they choose to do that, then you get the government you deserve. I can't look. I can't make people vote any way I want them to. I will make the case. I've got a thousand pages of op research that I have been building on Hillary Clinton that that I will be unleashing at the right time to remind people just how bad and how dangerous a Clinton presidency would be. But if if those numbers were to hold up, it's not going to be good. Now, Hillary has her own problems, similar numbers, but I would hate to see people. You know, Rick Perry said the other he was on The View, I guess, yesterday. I've always liked Rick Perry. I think Rick Perry would have been a good president. I really do. He did a great job in the state of Texas. And he said, yeah, I vote for Trump. I'm going to vote for the nominee. He's supporting Ted Cruz now. He hopes Ted Cruz can can win it at a second or third ballot at the convention. But he said in the end, he'll support. I hope other people come along that way. And I respect his decision, who he wants to support. But he said Hillary's just not an option for him. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Joe in LJ. Joe, I have known Joe now for some almost 25 years as a caller. How are you, Joe? What's going on, sir? Sean, I'm doing great. Love your show. And I just want to say that I strongly support Ted Cruz. And one big reason, you know, the Supreme Court really bothers me. I've got three children and seven grandchildren. And I'm totally convinced that Ted Cruz will appoint a conservative judge like Antonio Scalia. And so that's one big reason. And uh, But I'm just really fired up. You know, he got Ted got 100% from the AC, from the American Conservative Union, from Heritage. And I'm confident that he'll be a super taxpayer champion, Sean, and will do something about the terrible debt and the $100 trillion unfunded liabilities. And we just got to have a president like Cruz who will fight for the American taxpayer. But I love your show and keep up the great work. And uh, I'm well, thank you, and Joe. energized for Cruz. Well, if Cruz doesn't get it, I am interested to hear Trump said that he would name names, uh, uh, compile a list before an election. Actually, it's one of his upcoming policy speeches like he gave yesterday on foreign policy, where he would name the people, a list of people. And it would only be from that list that he would choose for the Supreme Court. I'm interested in seeing that list. I really am. All right, Joe. Always good to hear your voice. Thank you, sir. All right. 800-941-SEAN. Ellen is in Birmingham in Alabama, W-E-R-C. What's up, Ellen? How are you? We're glad you called. Hey, Sean. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, first of all, I love my pillow, so thank you. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Right. It really is, and it, it's not it, a... It, it, it just is, is a great... The best pillow I've ever had. It makes such a big difference. Thank you for saying that. It is awesome. So, I think it's time, Sean. I think that there, we're beginning to see some hope and direction, and I think it's time for a Trump-Rubio merger. Um, you know, what Cruz did by pulling Carly in, uh, I think sort of opened the door. And uh, I know a lot of young people seem to have been torn between Rubio and um, Bernie. Now, if, if Trump brought... Um, Rubio on board, I think that what would happen is that we would draw a whole lot of the typical Democrat voters, and in addition, the Cruz voters would be uh, more comfortable because, um, you know, Donald Trump, he's got tremendous ability to develop 
uh, people for a business mind. And that's what's missing in our government is a business mind and the success uh, strategies and so forth. And on the let other me, hand, let me, let me say I agree with you. I, I think Marco, look, if if it's Trump and that's what you're you're the hypothetical you're bringing up here, if Trump wins. Marco is got to be on a short list. Got to. It's smart. He's he's a rising star. I know some conservatives are still mad at him over the, the immigration debacle. He has said and, and comprehensive immigration reform. He has said over and over again how much he regrets it. And he paid a massive price for that mistake. And I think I've got to believe he's learned his lesson because he's a smart guy. Now, the other people, if again, using your hypothetical, if it's Trump. Ted Cruz has got to be on that list. Uh, John Kasich has got to be on that list. Scott Walker has got to be on that list. Uh, Paul Ryan, even, even though he's speaker, probably doesn't want the job, doesn't want to run again. But I would say he would be on that list. Um, Bobby Jindal is a rock star, could be on that list. So Nikki Haley could be on that list. And my hope is, again, I'm, I'm, I'm looking big picture here. I cannot do this radio show. As efficiently as and as effectively as I do, or the television show, without being surrounded by the best and brightest people. I don't tell people every day how to do their job. I don't go around saying, great job today. You know, I, I just, if they mess up, I might say, what are you doing? Because I expect them to perform as you expect me to perform every day. I've done a radio show by myself without a producer running the board over the years. So it's it's going to be a team. And I think when people see a team that they're going to or the potential of a team, I think it's it's certainly. But I think Marco's got to be right up there. No doubt about it. You've told voters to vote against John Kasich. John Kasich has told voters here in Indiana to vote against you. Uh, Ms. Fiorina just last night called for John Kasich to drop out. What shape is this alliance in? I, I recognize that the media is all eager to talk about an alliance. There is no alliance. Kasich and I made a determination where to focus our energies, where to focus our assets, where to focus our resources. Kasich and I, John Kasich is a good man. He's an honorable man. We disagree on a number of policy issues, but I'll tell you where we do agree. We agree that Hillary Clinton as president would be a disaster, and we agree that nominating Donald Trump elects Hillary Clinton. Today I'm in the plane, and I see on television they have a new relationship has started. Cruz and Carly. He's mathematically eliminated. He has set a record, though. He is the first presidential candidate in the history of this country who's mathematically eliminated from becoming president, who chose a vice presidential candidate. Okay. All right. And so the battle goes on. News Roundup and Information Overload Hour. 800-941-SEAN is our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. All right. So when even the AP now, they're a little behind us. Remember I said the winner of Pennsylvania guaranteed uh, Donald Trump from Tuesday night, 17 delegates. Then, you know, we went through a lot of this before the the voting Tuesday because they had the names of the delegates, but not associated with the candidates on the ballot, which, may, which makes it very confusing for Republicans. Even the Democrats do a better job in Pennsylvania than the Republicans. Anyway, so if you add up, the AP is confirmed that at least 33 of them plan to support Trump. We have a number closer to about 50. So the AP delegate count is, is officially now 987 
Ted Cruz, 562. John Kasich, 153. And we can't forget Senator Rubio, 171. He is really in third place. Um, So that would mean percentage wise that Trump needs around 46 percent of the remaining delegates for the 1237, the magic number. Now, we've also pointed out that Trump could amass the most primary votes in the history of the Republican Party. That is right now he has roughly 10.1 million votes, 200,000 more than Mitt Romney got during the entire 2012 primary campaign. And these primaries ahead include, let's see, popular, pop, heavily populated states like California, New Jersey, Indiana, and other states as well. So almost about, what, 10 contests left. So he will certainly probably shatter that record. Now, I mentioned earlier in the program a new Rasmussen survey that points out likely voters find that Trump and Clinton are now tied at 38 percent each. Now, this follows on the heels of the battleground poll that had at a 46-43 race within the margin of error between Trump and Clinton. 16% said that they would vote for some other candidate if the presidential election comes down to those two. 6% said they'd stay home. Only 2% are undecided. So the headline of the Rasmussen report is 24% of people would opt out of a Clinton-Trump race. You got to remember, a lot of people don't vote already. That would not surprise me. So if you look at the the actual numbers, for example, if Clinton is the Democratic nominee, 11% of Democrats would vote third party. 3% would stay home. That's 14%. 75% would support the nominee. 11%, though, would support Trump. And that's a pretty amazing figure. And it's similar for Donald Trump. Here to weigh in on these new numbers and what to make of them, we have Jeff Lord. He's the former former associate political director in the Reagan administration. Of course, he also writes for the American Spectator, author of the book, What America Needs, The Case for Trump. Jessica Tarlove is a senior strategist with Doug Schoen at Schoen Consulting. Welcome, both of you. Hi, Sean. How are you? Why do I suspect, you know, we see the Democratic numbers down almost 20 percent, Republican numbers up about 60 percent in terms of turnout. Why do I suspect Rasmussen at the end of the day may have this wrong? Because I think people's interest will be at an all time high by the time we get to November. Jeffrey Lord. Yeah, Sean, I mean, this happens all the time. I mean, we go back and forth in primary season about the viability of A or B uh, or C and how terrible they are. And, And then what happens is you get to the actual election in November, and the American people, when forced to choose between two candidates, uh, they make their choice, and they're not always uh, they're, they're not always doing well at the time. I remember years ago, the Time magazine in 1992 put Bill Clinton on the cover of their magazine with an in X-ray style, you know, implying that you know the guy was dishonest and not well liked and all of that kind of thing. And by November, Bill Clinton was president-elect. Uh, Ronald Reagan had sort of the same experience. The Gallup poll of December 1979 gave Jimmy Carter 60% of the vote to 33 for Ronald Reagan. You know, a year later, Reagan was president-elect. So things change here. I mean, this is still, I realize we're now almost to May, but we're still very early in this process. We've got a long way to go. How weak do you think, Jessica, Hillary Clinton has looked in this in this campaign against Bernie Sanders with nearly 120 contests? Um, I don't think she's 
looks as weak as you might think that she looks or as Jeffrey might think that she looks. You know, yes, she certainly has lost contests. You know, you, Sanders, you, wait a minute. You really, over... If I told you at the beginning of this process, Bernie Sanders would take 20 states or territories, no, you would, would never have believed me. I talked about it, and I, I did not think it was as serious of a challenge. But certainly in the past six months, I thought that, you know, even before we started in Iowa, when you said, you know, when he was turning people out and he was climbing in the polls. Um, but we do have to remember she has more than three million more votes than he does. Um, and she's winning decisively, and she's winning in states that have diverse populations. And we know that the Democratic base of this country is mixed, and Bernie Sanders is not appealing at all to anyone, really, but white people. And, and Bernie uh, did drag her very heavily to the left in a position she probably never wanted to be in, and no, all of that I will... will that's, oh, yeah, no? shift back. No, no, he absolutely did. Oh, I mean, she'll she shift back. Oh, so, so she, she, she only went left back. as a matter of convenience. I got it. Okay. Hey, Sean, so she I has don't no, think she's done moving left either, you know. Bernie Sanders, whatever one wants to say or think about Bernie Sanders, and I respect him enormously because he's your basic out-and-out socialist. This is not about Bernie. This is about positions. And I guarantee you he is going to try and have that Democratic platform that Hillary is going to run on move as far to the left as he can possibly get it. And she's not going to be too thrilled with it either. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey, from your point of view... Um, it's, this contest is not over. You see an alliance that has been made between, although Cruz kind of denied it's an alliance. I don't, I don't want to use the wrong word, but certainly an understanding between Kasich and Ted Cruz about what states they're going to campaign in and not campaign in. Uh, Trump still does need 47.6% of the remaining delegates. It's not over. He's got a, a tough contest. He's up plus five, plus six, and plus eight in the three most recent Indiana polls pretty much winner-take-all, although not totally winner-take-all. Um, you get 30 delegates for winning the state, then you got to win the congressional districts to get the, the majority of the rest. So um, what's your take on Indiana, and how important is that for Trump? Well, I think it's important. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's uh, it's critical in this sense. If he wins it, I, I don't know where Ted Cruz goes after that. Uh, I, Indiana has become, as, as some of these states have become along the way, a symbol of viability here. And Ted Cruz has really really been blown out of the water here in the northeastern United States. Uh, I mean, if you can't do much better well, than the northeast, the mid-Atlantic states, vote, that, you've yeah. got a problem. So now Indiana, this all devolves on Indiana. If Donald Trump wins Indiana, I think effectively it's over for Ted Cruz. If he loses yeah. Indiana, as, say, Ronald Reagan lost Pennsylvania in 1980 in April to George H.W. Bush, or Bill Clinton lost something like 13 primaries along the way yeah. in 1992. So if he loses Indiana, then he's going to go on. I mean, he's very he Trump will go on. He's very much ahead in California, and that'll be the penultimate thing. I think he'll win New Jersey. Uh, I think he's going to do very well. So it's entirely conceivable here that we will get to the end of this process, and he will have the majority in hand. What What's your take on Donald Trump as an opponent for Hillary, or what would you rather face, Ted Cruz or Donald Trump, Jessica? Oh, Ted Cruz, a hundred percent. Um, Why? You know, he's just Ted Cruz is um, he's too ideological, I think, to win the presidency. You know, he's really far right. He's shown no malleability on the issues. You know, we talked about making fun of her about being able to pivot between going to the left and going to the center with Hillary Clinton. But Ted Cruz has no pivot in him. And he's really, you know, staked his campaign on that. I'm being a constitutional conservative and trustworthy that he wouldn't you know, flip-flop at all on these issues. And the problem is that the way that he feels about the issues is out of step with the majority of Americans. And it's going to be very hard for him to pull in independents and certainly a lot of these Democrats who have been disenchanted 
with uh, the Democrat Party have gone so you, independent. So you or feared. So another way to say this is as a Democrat, you fear Trump more. Why? A thousand percent. I mean, Donald Trump is, first of all, he's charming and funny, which I think matters a lot. Um, and, I, you know, you've seen, obviously, you've interviewed him a number of times. He has, you know, a style and a swagger about him that's appealing. He, his stature, you know, he's a big guy and he, he's imposing and he does. I don't want to say he seems presidential because a lot of things that he says don't seem presidential to me at all. But he has more of a presence than Ted Cruz to me. And also the fact that he doesn't really have an ideology that, you know, for years he's been sticking to. There's a flexibility there that makes him dangerous, especially on women's issues. You know, Donald Trump is the only Republican. What about the exchange then that happened? You know, he Trump launched into Hillary this week about her lack of yes. appeal to women. And he's, you know, the only card she has is the woman's card and she's well, got nothing else going. And he said, frankly, if Hillary were a man, I think she'd have about five percent of the vote. Um, and the beautiful thing is women don't like her. And there's some truth well, to that. They don't. I mean, 75 percent of women don't like Donald Trump. And I think Hillary's latest unfavorable numbers are at 58, which is not great. And it's a problem. But women are delivering for her in these primaries. They're coming out in droves for her, actually. And I think that Donald Trump really took this tack too early in the race. Should have waited for the general when he was going to do it. Um, but I think that the gender card and that argument is going to be very difficult for Hillary because on the one hand, Trump's sexism or perceived sexism, I think, is a lot more on about style than substance. You know, he kind of has this playboy sexism to him. And um, that's more difficult, I think, for women to turn against, you know. And Hillary, she faced this in her entire life. People saying, you know, you're only somebody because of your husband. You only got this because of your husband. Or, you know, you're a loser. You lost in 08. Libya was a disaster. You know, you're a rack vote, et cetera. And there are a lot of things that people come at her about. Um, and I think that she won't be able to fight the traditional war on women. You know, you can't just stand up there anymore and say, we want equal pay. You know, we want uh, better women's health care, et cetera. It has to be part of this more holistic or humanistic perspective on equality for everybody. And that's why younger women in the Democratic Party actually haven't been supporting her, because they say, you know, this is a general movement about equality. And that's where Bernie Sanders appeals. So what is your take? Uh, what difficult. is your take? on? Look, I, I think the one really brief exchange on Bill Clinton and how she was an accessory to all of his actions, I think, was devastating to Hillary Clinton. And Trump keeps saying to me in interviews, at least, that he hasn't even started on Crooked Hillary, and it's only a matter of time, and he's got the full encyclopedia. Now, I know there's an encyclopedia because I got a thousand pages of op research on Hillary that I'm just waiting to uh, unload in the days and weeks to come. Right, and and the thing is that, that Donald Trump is not afraid to use this. Too many times, and, and you, you, Sean, have been talking about this for years, and, and I've been talking about it, Republican nominees, you know, boy, they'll go all after their, uh, their Republican opponents, but you finally put them on the playing field with a Democrat, and and suddenly, you, you know, they're Mr. Nice Guy. Well, they don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. They don't want to bring up Jeremiah Wright, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so they lose. Donald Trump, and I had this conversation with him back in 2014 in an interview for the American Spectator. I, I asked him this question, and he made it plain then that if he decided to run for president, he would go all out, and he would go right after his opposition. He's done it now with Hillary Clinton. He is going to continue to do it, and frankly, that's what you've got to do, because the 
these folks are going to are going to come after you and you've got to be able to fight back and he is definitely going to do that i don't think hillary if it is trump in the end and he still has to win this if it is mm-hmm. him i think i i don't think hillary will ever experience anything like this in her life i think that's right you know and sean there is one other thing that has nothing really to do with donald trump although he can take great advantage of it it is very hard to to get elected to a third presidential term for a political party um, you know bill clinton couldn't turn that trick for al gore George W. Bush couldn't do it for John McCain. I mean, only, frankly, Ronald Reagan in 1988 could get it done with with George, with his vice president. Other than that, it's very hard because you are, people, frankly, get tired of you. I mean, ideology aside, they're just tired. And then you add in the ideology and what's going on at the moment, which is... All right, I only have 10 seconds. How do you respond to Cruz's comments that Trump's not a conservative really quickly? Yeah, well, I I think he's a conservative. I mean, he's, he's he's got conservative positions on all kinds of things from the Supreme Court to energy to the economy. I mean, of course, he, I think he's a conservative. Now, is he is he a conservative in the sense that perhaps Ronald Reagan was? Uh, probably not. Probably not. But he's con- certainly conservative enough in these venues. Yeah. The other night I went to a rally, 10,000 people here in Harrisburg for Donald Trump. I mean, I got to talk to a lot of these people who came up and talked to me because they, you know, they've seen me on TV. I've, I've, I, yeah. they were great by the way, stuff. you're very handsome on TV, but I got a roll. Um, uh, listen, I appreciate both of you being with us. Let's say hi to Greg is in Jersey City, New Jersey, listening to the all new AM 710 WOR, which is the talk of New York and New Jersey. How are you? Hey, Sean. How are you doing? Uh, great I'm show. I'm a, I'm a Trump supporter, and um, I listen to your show all the time. With the uh, two points with regard to Cruz, uh, lately I can't even uh, listen to the station. I can't. Uh, whenever he's on, I have to turn it off. I mean, he just lies on every topic that there is. And I, I know, I mean, I say you, you try and be fair and just let him talk, and you say you want to let these guys talk, and then we make our own decisions. But when he's saying things that are so obviously false, uh, it's just unbearable to listen to. Like, lately he's saying a vote for Trump is a vote for Hillary Clinton. And he goes on to Trump wants Obamacare, Trump wants this, Trump wants that. They're all lies. Trump says every day that he doesn't want those things. And Cruz just gets on every day and says the exact opposite of what Trump is really stands for. You know, I, and, look, I read – let me give you an example. I read Brent Bozell. He sent out a letter to, to prominent conservatives to re, that have that have endorsed Donald Trump to reconsider their vote. Now – you know, Brent Bozell and I go back a long ways. He's been a great fighter in the cause for conservatism over the years. And and there were certain things in there that I would, having interviewed Trump as often as I did, would say, no, that's not his position. Now, here's two ways to conduct an interview with a presidential candidate. And I'm, I'm bringing you inside my job here because if you listen to the candidates as they prosecute their case against the other candidate, they always want to make it appear as bad as they possibly can. And, and, and it happens on all sides. This has happened throughout the campaign. Now, I have as a host two options. As this is going on, each time I could, I could be the special pleader for the other person. And, oh, wait a second, but the person said this to me on this date and that date. And you're never going to, the interview is never going to end. It's ne- we're never going to make any progress in the interview. I can promise you that. Does that make sense? Right, I understand that. But so, so my, to, so my answer, my, but hang on, but my answer and my antidote is that I'm given equal time to both. 
So in other words, you know, in other words, I don't have to sit there interrupting both of them, saying making the worst case for the other candidate and just let them lay out their vision. Now, some candidates spend more time attacking the other candidates over the years. Some candidates focus more on what their message is, what their mission is and and whatever positive things they want to do for the country. But I think in the end, people get it. But I'm trying to bring you into my world and understand it. Does that make sense? Right, definitely. It does make sense. And like I said, if they were subtle lies or misleading type of things, that's one thing. Cruz just blatantly outright lies about Trump's. I mean, he actually was trying to say for a while there that Trump was neutral between Iran and, and Israel. When everyone knows that that's not what Trump meant when he was saying if he was negotiating a deal or trying to negotiate a deal, then he was going to have to be neutral as a negotiator. But by far, he was a supporter of Israel. But Cruz took that on the campaign trail and everywhere he went saying that we don't need somebody who's not pro-Israel. I mean, that's just one example. But every single topic that Trump has where he's clearly made it uh, a point to say what he's for, Cruz says the opposite and says this is what... And lately, he's talking about a vote for Hillary as a vote for, you know, a vote for Trump as a vote for Hillary. That's so Listen, I, I, that Listen, here's the, here's the irony of this. I, I, could le- I could tell you... And I know that this is my job, so understand. I'm not saying this from from any conceited point. I've interviewed these guys so much, I can tell you their positions on everything. I can tell you uh, almost on every issue except for the new issues that have come up. I know the answers to every question before I even ask it. But I'm not doing the show for me. I'm doing the show for my audience. And I understand exactly the frustration. Let me give you an example. If I have, like, for example... Tonight, Donald Trump will be given a speech. We'll probably carry some of that speech on Hannity, 10 10 p.m. Eastern tonight. Friday night, we're going to do a town hall in Indianapolis. All the information is on Hannity.com with Senator Cruz and with Carly Fiorina together. Uh, Info at Hannity.com. Now, in both cases, I can promise you, if I interview Trump, Cruz people get mad. If I interview Cruz, Trump people get mad. Do you understand the dilemma that I'm in here? And I don't mind it. I don't mind the criticism. I, I accept it for what it is. Then you get people on the left saying that I'm too easy on Republicans. And to that, I'm probably going to plead guilty. And do you want to know why? Because, because I agree with them a lot more. And I am going to be as hard, if not harder, on Hillary Clinton than I ever was on Obama. Because their philosophy is dangerous. And it's literally driven this country into the ground. So I'm not a journalist. I'm a talk show host that has opinions. And at the end of the day, I am going to support the person on the Republican ticket because that most likely is in view with my view. Any one of the 17 I could have supported. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, so. it does. Uh, with regards to the, uh, when you say uh, if the establishment doesn't give it to either Trump or Cruz, uh, you're saying that a lot. And I really think that it's a hedge there. And uh, what I think is that whoever gets the most delegates and the most votes is really who should be the nominee. Because if, if well, that's what the that's what the that's what the um, most votes. Yeah, right. that's what exactly. the exit polls are saying that people want. But listen, hang in there. I I understand. Look, it's it's a very tense time. People are wired pretty tight right now, and some people are, frankly, unhinged. Part of my effort and motivation here is to defeat Hillary. 
And part of my effort and motivation here is to unite people. I understand fully and completely the emotional disappointment that people feel when their candidate loses. But you have to, you know, we all have disappointments in life. And you've got to ask yourself a question, whether it's Donald Trump, who has a a much easier path than Ted Cruz or John Kasich or whoever it might be. If they are running against Hillary, I will make a list and I will publish it and I will put it on my website where they stand versus Hillary on substantive, real issues. And then it's our responsibility, just like I've been hammering Republicans now for years for being weak and ineffective in Washington, then it's our responsibility to hold the person if they get elected accountable. Anyway, appreciate your time. Thank you. Mary Beth is in Arkansas next on the Sean Hannity Show. Mary Beth, how are you? Glad you called. I'm great, and I think you do a great job. I listen on the radio and watch it at night, and I just think you do a great job. Uh, But the reason I'm calling is I believe the people of the United States of America have found their white knight in Donald Trump. And everybody keeps trying to push us down and say, no, no, no. And, you know, I'm excited. I'm happy. And, and, you know, I, I just think it's time that everybody else realizes that, you know, the United States of America are ready to find somebody that's working for them and, 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 you know, ready to help the vets, ready to help the American people, ready to help the elderly. You know, I'm excited. Listen, I am. I'd be excited if I I'd be a little more comfortable if I knew that this election was in the bag. It's not. This election is not going to be in the bag. Anybody that ever tells you it is is going to be lying to you. I think that this country is very divided philosophically. And I have a great fear that the country has moved from center right to center left. We'll know a lot in this election if the damage that has been caused by Obama does not motivate an alliance between conservatives and Republicans to fix the country's problem with a stiff spine and a strong vision. I don't know what will. We get to the point where irreparable damage is done and we're Europe and we're in decline and we can't stop it. And financially, it becomes mathematically impossible to fix it. I mean, you've got another GDP report showing, again, the Obama economy teetering on the brink of a recession. You have the first time in our nation's history that you have a president that has never, ever come close to three percent growth i mean these but at are least fright- now we have somebody that's standing up there and saying i am going to make america great again yeah it's inspiring you know but but remember you had a guy last time that was saying hope and change and change and hope and believe me i'm not comparing the two all i am saying is is this this is why a circular firing squad is going to be death to the country. It's really a time for people that maybe we all agree 70, 75, 80% of the time, but we agree on the big issues about border security, on repealing, replacing Obamacare, on conservative justices. We all agree on, on living within our means and stop burdening future generations with debt. We all agree that states should run education and Common Core needs to go. I mean, you know, every one of the candidates support that agenda. Every one of them. I know them because I've interviewed them all. And, and I understand. It's like this last caller saying. All of these people that, come, that tell me, I, I, look, I interview the candidates. They want to sh- portray their opponents in the worst possible light and never look to any areas of reconciliation. That's fine. That's really fine during a campaign or a primary. But if you don't unite in a general, you're going to get an Obama third term. That is 
where everybody's head should be. Nicole is in Stockton out in California. Hey, Nicole, how are you? And we're glad you're called. By the way, Obama is the first president ever not to see a single year of 3% GDP growth. Anyway, Nicole, how are you? Hello, I'm great. Great. I'm happy to be on. Thank you. What's on your mind today? I I am listening in, and I just want cold, hard facts. I support Cruz because he has not only say that he can change, he has done change already. I see that, that Trump is having this great, hopeful speech. It's helping us all out because, yes, we are all so angry. But what has he done in his past? I want I don't want to listen to what he's saying anymore. I want to see what he has done. And I have not found anything that has made me feel like what he is saying is the cold, hard truth. Well, what do you mean by done? You mean accomplishments, specific accomplishments? His, yes. Well, let me let me give you one. I, look, I'm somebody yes. I'm, I'm somebody in my life. Um, I never talk about it. I actually have I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I have businesses. I don't talk about them on the air. I love business. I know it may sound crazy. But that's what I do in my spare time. Um, if, if if you know how hard it is to start and run a business, even a small business, let's say a mom and pop shop that takes in $250,000 a year. And by the time they pay their light bill and their their rent or their mortgage uh, and a couple of employees, they take home $100,000. That's still an, an, an enterprise that is incredibly viable for uh, and necessary for our economy. Now, magnify that if you happen to be a millionaire. Then magnify that yet again if you happen to be, like in Trump's case, a billionaire. You know, it's funny. I was, um, I've been to Trump Tower a number of times. You go to Trump Tower, and I know you're a Cruz supporter, but it's a beautiful building. You look at the accomplishment of building that building, and then then all the people that, that have to construct the building, all the people that maintain the building, all the shops that are within the building, all the services that are provided to residents and and businesses in the building. I mean, it's, it's a never-ending circle of economic activity. You know, then you could add the golf courses to it and, and, and all the people that work there and the, from the people that cut the lawn and clean the bathrooms to the waiters and waitresses in the in the restaurants to the guys that park the cars to, you know, the, the starters at a golf course. I mean, these are people that are employed because entrepreneurs have taken risk and invested money. So if you're asking me what an accomplishment is, well, that's one. He also has the story about Woolman Rink in Central Park. It, the, the city of New York spent $13 million. Trump said, I'm sick and tired of looking at this thing busted and broken and not fixed. Let me take it over. I'll do it. I'll do it with my own money. He got it done in six months under budget. He went to Canadians who know how to build ice rinks. They built the ice rink, and it's been beautiful ever since. It's, you know, I like the idea, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not you know, I, I would also argue, I can argue the things that Ted Cruz has done. Ted Cruz has reminded every conservative, every Republican, of the promises that they made when they ran for office. That is a big deal that he stood there alone and was willing to fight that to me. You know, he was also the attorney general. He also was the, the national debate champion. There's, you know, he's a, a constitutionalist. He's strong and smart. I can make a case for anybody, Nicole, over Hillary Clinton. It's not that hard. 
And that's where we're. But the problem is there's so much antipathy right now that I don't see people united enough to effectively uh, succeed in the mission of seeing the big picture of uniting to win. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes complete sense. And I love the idea of uniting. Although with Trump, I feel like he's more dividing. And that scares me. It brings a fear up in my belly. It just scares me. I feel like he's dividing and we need uniting and we need to get back down to basics. And with him, with making deals and all this, it just scares me. It scares me. I feel like there's something there. He's not explaining in depth. He doesn't want to debate Cruz. Why? Why do you not want to debate Cruz? Well, they debated, I think, 15 times already. But I understand what you're saying. You want a one-on-one debate. All right, listen, I my advice to you is keep fighting. I mean, one of the things that you, you've got to say, give any candidate for, is they're in there, they're fighting, they're playing hard, and, you know, at the end of the day, I want the person that wins the presidency to be willing to fight for the country and fight for our principles and fight to make this a better place and fight to get Americans back to work and fight to keep America strong and fight to keep our enemies at bay. That's what I'm looking for. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kiwi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.